Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Baseball Pickups Podcast. Uh, this is Taylor Corso, joined by my co-host Kyle Sontag. How's it going, Kyle? Not bad. We uh, finally got out of the negative 50 wind chills up here in Saskatchewan, so I'm a little bit happier than I was a week ago. But outside of that, no complaints. How are you doing? Good. Uh, we're getting ton of rain right now, and it's a little bit chilly at 50 degrees here in San Diego. So 50 is you know, almost. I, I can relate. 50, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, today we got a really fun, exciting podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about prospect breakouts. So a few weeks back, we did our all breakout teams for MLB players. Um, this week, we're going to come with five names each in terms of prospects that we think are going to break out. Uh, which basically means we think they're going to skyrocket in value, whether that's up rankings lists or in the case of one particular player, I just think, um, you know, he's going to go up in value as he gets more time at the big league level, but is currently a prospect. So we'll go through that. Unfortunately, uh, Enrico was supposed to join us today, but he had a last minute uh, change of schedule. So we do have his names for this, but we're not going to go super in depth on those. We'll just kind of cover those towards the end uh, when we cover honorable mentions. So with that being said, uh, Kyle, why don't you start us out with your first uh, prospect breakout? Yeah, so if anyone's been listening to the podcast recently or drafting in any leagues with us, they're not going to be surprised by this first name, and that's Cooper Pratt. He is a guy that I've taken in both of our startups so far, and he might be my absolute favorite player in this year's FYPD class to the point where I almost have him sneaking into the back end of the first round in my ranks. And he may yet do so the more that I, I tinker with that list. If you listen to our FYPD draft, then you know I'm very high on him and you've already heard some of what I'm about to say, but that's not going to stop me from going over it again. Um, In his pro debut, he tore up complex ball he slashed 356 426 444 albeit in just a 12 game sample but with a 20 percent k rate and a nine percent walk rate while he didn't hit any home runs he did hit two doubles and a triple and stole four bases now i'm not concerned that the power didn't really show up in his debut because coming out of high school he was known to be more hit over power anyways with one of the better hit tools in this prep class, and I even think his hit tool is being slept on, but I will get into that a little bit more later. The other reason I'm not worried about the power is because it's very easy to see how he could develop into at least above average power, and I think he can get to plus power down the road because he's listed at six foot four, 195 pounds, and generates plenty of bat speed. Now, despite that size, he is still a good enough athlete that many think he could stick at shortstop long term. But if he does have to move off the position, he should profile very well at third base. Now, getting back to Pratt's hitting ability, I found an article. It was posted by a local uh, Milwaukee uh, news source, and they mentioned that between 2021 and 2022, on the national showcase circuit. So keep in mind that these are the top high school pitchers in the country. Pratt saw 581 total pitches that were tracked on tape. Of those 581, he put 113 in play and only swung and missed 27 times. 27 swing and misses in 581 pitches is a whiff rate of less than 5%, which is just insane. 
Now, beyond all the ability, everything I see about Pratt is that the kid just lives and breathes baseball. In high school, he would travel twice a week, make a two-hour round trip to work with a strength coach before returning home to hit and take ground balls every night. Outside of those days, he would hit the weight room along with team practices every day after school. And to top it all off, he comes from a very athletic, baseball-focused family. His dad and four uncles all played college baseball. His mom played college softball. And his brother is a shortstop at Southern Miss right now. Now, some may see his sixth round draft capital and think, really, this guy? But don't get fooled by when he was drafted because Pratt has the talent to go much earlier than that. But most teams didn't think they could sway him from his commitment to Ole Miss. The Brewers, however, saved some money in the first five rounds of the draft and signed Pratt for a bonus of $1.35 million, the type of money you would normally see in the second round and roughly $1 million over slot value in the sixth. So when we look at not only the ability that Pratt has, but the work ethic, the bloodlines, everything else that goes into making an excellent ball player, I really think he could have an awesome season here in his first full year of pro ball and just rock it up the ranks. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like Cooper Pratt. Um, You know, we, again, we talked about this on our FYPD episode, but you know, going back to what you just said about his, you know, where he actually was drafted versus, you know, his slot um, value and then his actual bonus that he got, he actually got, you know, like you mentioned, about a million dollars over his slot value, which is actually about four times his slot value. So, you know, the Brewers definitely saw something there. It, it was more a matter of, you know, would he go to college versus, you know, would he be swayed by a signing bonus? And in this case, he was swayed. But yeah, I mean, I think there is tons of upside here. Already has the plus hit tool. Um, already has, you know, average power. But like you said, projection could take it to plus or even double plus. And he he has some decent speed too. you know, could chip in, you know, double just it steals down the line as well. So a lot to like with Cooper Pratt. Milwaukee's done a great job um, with development recently. So I I really like this pick. Um, and I think he's an exciting prospect for sure. Um, my first one is also going to be an FYPD player, and that is Han Suk Jang. So we talked about him, uh, I think, both on our last two episodes that we had, both in the FYPD episode and in the um, draft recap for the Points League startup that we did. Um, I just think this is somebody who a lot of people are forgetting about. Um, you know, he's 19-year-old right-handed starter in the Dodgers organization, has not made his pro debut yet, um, was a prep pitching prospect out of Korea, which you don't really see at all, um, was projected to go number one in the KBO draft, um, but instead declared that he wanted to sign with with uh, the MLB. Dodgers actually signed him, but they didn't have enough pool money to go ahead and sign him. So they actually traded two prospects uh, to get the pool money to go ahead and sign Jang. Um, so that shows you how much the Dodgers liked him. And there is really a lot to like here. So, you know, we haven't seen him debut in pro ball. We, you know, he's only pitched in high school in Korea. So, you know, the scouting reports maybe aren't the the most accurate or, or have the most to go on. But based on what we do have to go on, it looks like he has potentially a plus mid-90s fastball um, with projection to add more velo right now. He's listed at 6'3", 200 pounds. Um, he has potentially two plus secondaries and a high spin slider and curveball. And then, you know, like most young pitchers, he's developing a changeup. Um, but one thing that sets him apart is just his ability to throw strikes. So 
this is not a pitcher that's projected to have control problems. And if you, you know, can start with a base of solid control, potentially three plus pitches, and you put him in the Dodgers organization, uh, which is known for their pitching development, like it just checks a lot of boxes. So I'm super excited about Jang. I think a lot of people forget because he actually did not sign in the, the January 2024 international signing period. He signed back in August of last year, um, but he is in that FYPD pool. Don't forget about him. Um, definitely give him a shot because this is somebody who, if he makes a strong debut based on the org he's in and the ability he has, he could absolutely skyrocket up rankings. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the potential three plus pitches here, which is, you know, not something you usually see from a a prep arm. Uh, usually, even the, you know, the best high school pitchers will come out with two plus pitches in a fastball and whatever their best secondary is. It's rare that you see three like this. So that's already sort of a, a leg up. And then you add on the fact that, like you mentioned, he can throw them all basically wherever he wants in the zone. That's huge. Um, the the one question I have with him, because we always talk about how difficult the transition can be in players in their 20s and 30s to come over to the, the U.S. and make that transition. So I do wonder what that transition is going to look like for a kid his age do we really have any past players that we can look at in that regard do we have anyone with any sort of track record the the only name that really comes to mind is a guy that's still in the minors over in st louis's system in Juan bin cho and we don't really have any indication of how well that's going at this point because he's only been over here for about a year so i i, I do wonder what that transition will look like being so much younger than we usually see these players come over. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, we didn't see him get into pro ball last year, which isn't unusual for, you know, a, like a pitcher being drafted um, in the regular amateur draft. So that's not that surprising, but, you know, I think maybe having that extra time before he debuted might uh, potentially help with that transition process. But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking to see him, him struggle out of the gate. I don't think he will though. I think the Dodgers will have him prepared. I think, you know, if, if this is a, a high school kid that decides he wants to go to the majors versus going into the KBO, I think that there is a level of preparation there um, to be prepared for going to the U S to play versus um, kind of somebody who maybe spends some time in one of those, you know, overseas leagues and then decides, Hey, I want to opt out of my contract and then go over to the MLB. So hopefully there's, there's more preparation there, but yeah, I mean, we just don't know. There's a lot of unknowns, um, but a ton of upside and the value is so great right now. Uh, I, I think he's definitely one to go after. So who is your next player? So my next name is Dylan Lesko. He's a 20 year old pitching prospect in San Diego's system. And he ended last season in high a, the reason I think he can really rise, even though he's still relatively high on a lot of the rankings out there, is because I think people are forgetting about just how good Dylan Lesko was prior to his injury in his draft year. He had Tommy John in April of 2022. That was his senior year of high school. And the Padres still drafted him 15th overall just a few months later and signed him to a bonus of $3.9 million. Now, his numbers 
upon his return to the mound in pro ball across 33 innings over 12 starts were far from spectacular, but that really shouldn't be a surprise from someone just returning from Tommy John. And I'm really not going to put much, if any stock into those. But when we look at prior to his injury, Lesko showcased a pitch mix to dream on with solid control to make it easy to see how he could develop into a frontline starter. His fastball sat in the mid-90s, touched 97, had good ride up in the zone, and was thought to be a 60-grade pitch, but wasn't even considered his best. That nod went to his 70-grade changeup that had excellent separation from his fastball, approaching the plate in the low 90s, or sorry, the low 80s. So we're, we're looking at, you know, 10 to 15 mile an hour separation here between the fastball and changeup, which is elite regardless of you know, age and development, let alone for a high school pitcher. It also gets great two-plane movement. So he can beat batters with that changeup in a couple of different ways. And while his curveball leg behind a little bit, receiving a 55 grade, it did still uh, clock high spin rates. And it's easy to see how that pitch too could become at least a plus offering with more consistency. So armed with these three weapons and a knack for control that most high school pitchers just don't have, Lesko was the consensus top prep arm in the 2022 class. And I don't think it's going to be a surprise at all to see his stock really shoot up the rankings with a full season in 2024. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been hesitant on Lesko. Um, I don't, didn't want to invest last year on, you know, somebody who already had Tommy John and and then, you know, not only do they have to adjust to uh, pitching professionally, but they also have to do it while coming off of Tommy John. Um, I was happy to see that the stuff appears to be fully back and as advertised. I mean, the, the K rate in his short sample was just insane. Um, but I do really have questions about, you know, that, that control and, and granted, you know, coming off of Tommy John, there's always going to be, some sort of adjustment period or usually going to be some sort of adjustment period control is one of the last things to come back, but his walk rates were really scary. I mean, he had a 15.2% walk rate. So I'm not all fully back on board the Lesko train. I agree. There's, there's a really high ceiling there, but from where I've, you know, interacted with other managers in trade talks and everything, I feel like he's already being valued um, pretty highly. So for me, while I, I do think that if he can get that control, um, you know, figure it out, I think there's definitely, you know, top five pitching prospect potential here. I, I just f- don't feel personally like the value is there so far. So I'm not necessarily buying into him, but totally understand why you would, um, especially if you believe that that uh, walk rate is just an aberration. Yeah, that's the big thing with Lesko. You know, we talked. In, we've talked in past episodes about, you know, what makes a breakout guy, what makes us think someone's going to rise. And Lesko is a player who you can see pretty consistently ranked in the top 50 or 60 of a lot of prospect rankings. But you mentioned it, like he has the the stuff that can easily push him into the top five pitching prospects, if not higher. And you mentioned the control. I'm not overly concerned because, again, you alluded to it that's one of the last things often to come back after Tommy John surgery. So the fact that the, you know, the raw stuff 
came back for the most part. And the fact that the K rates were there is really what I'm looking for in especially a young pitcher like this returning from Tommy John. I think this coming year is going to be where we see the control come back. And that's what's going to cause his stock to really rise. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to sell him short either. I mean, I think there's definitely ace upside there. Um, but I just have a few a few more um misgivings about the risk. Um, okay. Uh my next player is the one that I think, you know, if I had to pick one of these uh breakouts that I feel the most strongly about, it's this player, and that is Yoffrey Rodriguez. So he's 18 years old, he's in the Brewers organization outfielder. Um, he was a uh 1.5 million dollar signing bonus last year. Um, was trained by uh, former big leaguer Carlos Guillen and had a really nice DSL. So in 224 plate appearances in the DSL, he had six home runs, 12 stolen bases, more walks than strikeouts at an 18.3% walk rate, only a 17.9% K rate, uh, good for a 125 WRC plus. So I'm going to make some comparisons to Jackson Churio when I'm talking about Yoffrey Rodriguez. That doesn't mean I think Yoffrey Rodriguez is going to be the next Jackson Churio. There's just some similarities because they're both um you know in Milwaukee's organization they both were kind of higher profile international signees um that debuted in the DSL so again going to compare them but not saying Yoffrey is the next Churio we just be clear about that um <laughs> in the, however <clears throat> in the DSL um Yoffrey had 30 more plate appearances than Churio and put up more home runs more stolen bases a higher walk rate and a higher iso now again not saying he's better than Churio because Trio has some skills that Yoffrey simply doesn't. So both had at this point uh, in their careers, uh, rankings of above average hit tools and approaches. Um, Yoffrey specifically has really good contact rates and, and didn't chase much, obviously very patient hitter with that 18.3% walk rate, but not necessarily a passive one either. Um, he does have above average power projection. So he has really good bat speed and uh, natural loft to his swing. So it's expected that he's going to hit for at least above average power. Um, potentially, there's a little bit more there. At, at this point in uh, when Chirio had come off of his DSL season, he was kind of talked about similarly with having above average, but not plus power potential. And we saw that kind of advance as Chirio moved up the ranks of the um, of the stateside leagues. So not saying that's going to happen with Yoffrey, but just keeping in mind kind of where they were valued at this time in their careers. Um, the one thing that Chirio had that Yoffrey doesn't is plus speed. Um, Yoffrey has more of average speed, so he could be more of a, you know, 15 stolen base guy, um, not necessarily going to be a burner like Chirio, but he does have that above average hit tool, above average power potential, and he has the ability to play a really good center field. So he's going to get plenty of chances um, to showcase his hitting abilities because the defense will will give him that that opportunity since he can play center field. And, you know, we've seen Milwaukee have great success with these international outfield signings. Um, we saw what they did with Chirio. They, after his DSL performance, they skipped complex and went straight to A-ball. They did the same thing with Luis Lara, who doesn't have the upside that Yoffrey does, but does have a really good hit tool. Um, and so... I think that that's what's going to happen with Yoffrey. I think, you know, we're not going to see him play a game in complex. I think he's going to start out at full season ball. And if he performs well, those comparisons I just made at Churio, you're going to be hearing a lot of those. And he's just going to absolutely skyrocket up the rankings. So really like Yoffrey as a 
um, good buying opportunity right now because he's not on a lot of people's radars. I think he kind of got overshadowed by, you know, the Walcotts and the Salases and everybody else in that that class. But um, he had a lot of pedigree coming into it and has done nothing to to cost him on that. Yeah. So you mentioned there's you know plenty to like with Rodriguez here. Um, the the biggest thing for me is just what that plate approach is going to look like when he comes stateside. He's always been known to have a good approach, but it's not hard to have a good walk rate over in the DSL. You could go up there and stand with the bat on your shoulder, and I think you could come close to an 18% walk rate. Obviously, he's not doing that. Like you said, he's not just passive, but I am really curious to see what that's going to look like when he comes over. The other thing to you mentioned you know the the counting stats were solid but the slash line was relatively unspectacular it was a 253 average 393 on base 449 slug those are fine but for someone you know that you're looking to really make a jump coming stateside i want to see more in the dsl there's still lots of reason to like him. I'm just not quite as high on him as you are regarding how high he can rise this coming year. I do still like him. I just, I want to temper expectations a little bit more before I see it stateside. Totally get that. Um, all right. Who is your next uh, prospect here? So the next name on my list here is John Cruz. This is an 18-year-old outfielder in the Yankees system, and he finished last season in complex ball in the Florida Complex League. So Cruz is listed at six foot three, 171 pounds, so there's plenty of room left on his frame to put on some good weight without losing much speed, really, if any. Cruz put up some very impressive numbers in the Florida Complex League in 2023, which are made even more impressive by the fact that he was relatively young for the level at just 17 all season long. He had a full season slash line of 294, 376, 531, which is good for a 907 OPS to go along with 10 home runs and nine stolen bases in 48 games. Now, what makes uh, the the slash line really interesting is when you look at his month to month progression, which is actually something that was pointed out to me by our friend Enrico. You know, when you look at June, he had a 212, 329, 455 slash. You jump to July, he had a 322, 375, 576 slash. And then he finished the season in August with a 365, 441, 577 slash. So he's making tons of progress in season. And I think a big reason for that is a little bit of a swing change. Now, by no means and I am I an expert when it comes to swing mechanics, but I found a couple of different videos throughout the week from one was, I believe, from March of last year, and one was from just a couple weeks ago. Now, in the video from last March, it appeared that he had sort of an awkward load. And because of that, he ended up really drifting forwards into his swing. But the video I saw that was much more recent in just the last couple of weeks, he had a much more moderate controlled leg kick. He stayed back over his back foot really well. And his swing was quick to the ball while exploding through it. 
So the fact that his swing looks so much different in the span of a year, and with that first video being taken in March of last year, that's not long before the season would have started in the FCL. So when you look at the way that his slash lines progressed from June to July to August, it's not hard to see where these changes were made and why that improvement is so interesting to me is because he, like I said, was making those adjustments to his swing conceivably in season here. And if I'm correct in that, then I think there's plenty of reason to believe he has the ability to push through what adversity may come his way in 2024. He makes, you know, the, the jump to a ball as an 18 year old. I think there's a lot to like in this profile. Yeah, I I agree. I really like uh, John Cruz. I think, you know, what you cited with the adjustments is not something I necessarily uh, caught on to, but it is something I really like to see in young players, particularly that young and at that low of a level. Um, you know, also just being kind of young for for the level, putting up the numbers he did, really exciting. Um, I think, you know, being a Yankees prospect, they tend to get, you know, a little bit more buzz. So <laughs> definitely some, some value increase there, but I will say, you know, I was doing some research on him. I saw that um, in particular, you know, Chris Clegg over at the dynasty dugout, he has access to some uh, metrics for the lower minors that are not publicly available. And he did state that, you know, the, the exit velocities and the contact rate were, were a lot lower than he would have expected um, that his launch angle was not great. And um, you know, puts some cold water on his ability to steal bases, you know, as he matures. So definitely, you know, there's, there's some out there who aren't big cruise believers. Um, but me personally, I am. So <laughs> I, I'm definitely more bullish on him, but I thought I'd throw that out there as kind of a differing uh, point of view on that player. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's anytime we've got a player this young, there's going to be warts in their game. Just like I called out a couple that I'm worried about with, uh, with Yoffrey Rodriguez. So you know, you're, you're not going to find a perfect prospect at the age of 17 or 18. It's going to be how they develop and progress. And the fact that he did make those adjustments last season is a big step in the right direction, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think the value is there too. I, I don't think everyone's caught on to um, what Cruz did last year. So um, I definitely think he's a, he's a great pick there. Um, my next pick is another player that we have not seen um kind of perform stateside yet. And that is uh, Felden Selston actually perform it all professionally. Um, this mm -hmm. was arguably the top uh, prospect in last year's international class, right up there with uh, Ethan Salas, depending on where you looked, he was either, you know, one or two. Uh, he signed for $4.7 million uh, into Seattle's organization. He's a switch hitting shortstop. And, um, he, you know, talk was that like Salas, he was just going to skip the DSL and start stateside. And he was actually invited to uh, MLB spring training, but he was delayed by visa issues. Um, couldn't get over initially once he did, you know, because he was already behind and didn't have minor league spring training. Um, he was, you know, doing kind of extended spring training um, and then suffered a hamstring strain in, in June, I believe, and then was out for the rest of the year. So, we have not seen him play professionally, but everything that he showed, you know, in the brief glimpses that people got of him from scouts and from the organization, he was supposed to be as advertised and what he was advertised as was really, really good. So we're talking about a above average hit tool, 
We're talking about being good from both sides as a switch hitter, uh, plus speed, potential for plus power. So we're talking potentially, you know, above average hit, plus speed, plus power. So sky high ceiling. He's got the ability to stick at shortstop and above average arm. So again, that's important because that'll give him every opportunity to stay on the field. And being in Seattle's organization, obviously they've had pretty good luck with their player development. So, you know, I think he's forgotten about because we just, we haven't seen him in a year. Um, but he's one who I think the value is just going to absolutely skyrocket because if he starts performing uh, and, you know, he will start out stateside, I would imagine, you know, we might see him in complex just because of the lost time, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to, to a ball to start out depending on, you know, what he shows and kind of minor league spring training. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as soon as he starts performing, that value is just going to skyrocket because people are going to remember, oh, hey, this was a really, really good international prospect. So that's why I'm all in on a breakout for Felman Selston. Yeah, I'm with you here. Out of sight, out of mind is the first thing that comes to mind with Celestin. People just, you know, our attention spans are so short now. It's easy to forget about these guys, despite the fact that he was, as you mentioned, either the the one or two in the the international prospect class last year but we haven't seen him play so everybody forgets about him but with his blend of tools it's not difficult to see how he could really rise up the ranks this year with a healthy season yeah i mean this is like top 10 prospect potential and obviously you know i'm not gonna say he's gonna get that we haven't seen it yet but the potential is definitely there um so who is your next prospect so my next guy, I'm going back to this year's FYPD class with Ralphie Velasquez. He's an 18-year-old catcher in the Cleveland system. He ended last season at rookie ball. Now, somewhat similar to Pratt earlier, Velasquez is considered to have a fairly advanced prep bat. Uh, and that's a bit of a theme I'll return to later as well. But the similarities between Velasquez and Pratt kind of stop there. Velasquez is a big teenager at 6'3", 215. He doesn't run very well, and his defense behind the plate is already in question. So he's likely a first baseman at the end of the day because he lacks the athleticism needed really for any other position. So his bat is going to have to carry the profile for him to succeed, but I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. In a brief six-game debut, Velasquez slashed 349, 393, 739 with two home runs and three doubles. He's known to have an excellent approach, rarely chasing balls out of the strike zone while showing big-time pull-side power as well as an ability to drive the ball to the opposite field. And I see a potential here for Ralphie Velazquez to develop into a plus or better power tool to go along with a plus hit tool. And that's going to play regardless of position. Now, the biggest concern for me is where the body does end up, because being as big as he is already at just 18 years old and lacking in foot speed and athleticism, he's going to need to stay on top of his conditioning to continue having success as he works his way up the levels of the minors. But as long as he can do that, I think he can really rise up prospect lists this year. And I think he's going to put up some big, big numbers. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> he actually was one when I was doing my FYPD rankings that I actually kept kind of pushing down and he ended up at, you know, or I think at 40th in my um, top 60 FYPD rankings. And, 
you know, everything that you said, I, I agree with. He looks like a, a good hitter. He looks like a good power hitter. But this profile to me is one that just has way more risk than uh, than upside in, in terms of like the value proposition. So right now he is a catcher, right? But the belief is that he will be too poor of a catcher to stay a catcher. So right now, if you think about it from a, a dynasty value proposition, catchers are naturally pushed down, right? You know, nobody's really, unless it's a two catcher league or, or you know, deeper than 15 teams, nobody's really going to value catchers that highly because they're a lot more kind of interchangeable in a one catcher league. So y- you start out with having that catcher eligibility next to his name. Then if he loses that, he becomes a first base prospect, which again, might actually increase his value um, from a fantasy standpoint, because people are going to be more interested in a first baseman than a catcher. Um, but at that point, you know, he is, like you said, he's slowing down. There's concerns about the body. He's defensively limited. So the bat really has to play up. Like he has to be an exceptional bat to be a, a first base slash DH prospect. And if he's not that, then the value is just going to fall apart. And I'm not convinced that this is the right org for this particular profile. Um, the Guardians have not really done a great job with uh, developing their kind of power um, slugger types. So we'll see. But I just, for those reasons, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I could be very wrong. I was out on Xavier Isaac, and that's not looking great right now. So <laughs> very possible that um, that I'm just, you know, just kind of being a little bit too harsh to this profile, but it's not one that I personally um, want to invest in. Yeah, and I I definitely see the concerns. They're very warranted. I'm just looking past them a little bit because I do believe the bat is good enough that it's going to play. But I I can't dispute any of the points that you made on the contrary to mine. There there is a lot of reason to be concerned here. I just like the bat so much that I think it's going to work out. Yeah, and and to your point at the like unlike I think some of the names that we talked about, like Celestin is, is kind of a borderline top 100 guy, you know, Lesko, like you said, is a top 50 guy. Ralphie Velasquez is, you know, <laughs> not, he's, 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 he's like a late, so. yeah, he, he's like a late round FYPD guy. Like if you believe in him, the value is there that there's no risk, right? Take him. Yeah. If he doesn't pan out, you can always swap him out for something else. So I definitely think the value is there and, and kind of like somebody I'm going to talk about later, like, it's more of a value play than it is a uh, an upside play for me. If I were to believe that they're um, that he's going to hit that upside, so um, so yeah, I to- totally understand that pick, uh, especially from a value standpoint. All right, so for my next prospect, it's one who got a lot of buzz around this time last year, um, was considered kind of overall a top one hundred fantasy prospect, and really between you know performance and injuries really kind of fell off the map but I think he represents a great buy low opportunity and that's Miguel Blaise of the Boston Red Sox so he's 19 years old he's a right-handed uh hitter in an outfielder for uh the Red Sox and in the 2021 class he was the largest signing bonus of 1.5 million now it's worth noting that you know unlike the um the 2023 class that had you know Ethan Salas and uh, Felon Celestin who we discussed the the 2021 class was not a particularly high profile class. Um, however, you know, Miguel Blaise showed a lot of skills that that looked really intriguing uh, prior to last year. So performed well in the DSL in 2021, had a 109 WRC plus, was even better in complex ball, a 141 WRC plus. 
Uh, and that's what really kind of propelled him uh, to to get that hype going into first season of uh, full season ball. Um, but he actually only got into 31 games last year before suffering a shoulder injury in late May and missing the re- rest of the season. And he didn't do great in those 31 games. He struggled with the 71 WRC plus. Um, he does have an aggressive approach. And I think that really showed once he got to full season ball. So there's definitely some some negatives. And I think that's what's depressing his value. But if you want to look at the positives, this is a, a player whose scouting report features uh, average hit tool with plus speed and power. So obviously the aggressive approach is really kind of putting that average hit tool in question, but I believe that he can make the adjustments. And if he's, you know, even a fringe average hit tool, that plus speed and power is going to give him a really huge fantasy season uh, ceiling. So I think, you know, he only had those 31 games last year. It's not unusual for a prospect to struggle um, in the beginning of a season at a new level, particularly going from complex to a ball. I think that if he had been given uh, more time, I think we would have seen him make adjustments and we would have seen him perform at that level. But um, unfortunately we, we never saw that. So, you know, with that being said, the value is probably never going to be lower in my mind. I think he's a great buy right now. He could absolutely skyrocket up rankings because again, plus power plus speed and, what is believed to be a decent hit tool is really a massive ceiling for a fantasy prospect. And right now, you know, people have kind of forgotten about him. He's been overshadowed in his own organization by Roman Anthony. And one other thing to keep in mind, I know I've discussed it a lot with these position player prospects is he's got really good defensive ability and should stick in center field. So again, if you can play center field, you're going to get every opportunity to be a big league starter. So it'll give him more patience from his organization as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about Miguel Blyce. I think he's going to make those adjustments this year. And if, and when he does, he's just going to absolutely skyrocket up rankings. Yeah, you, uh, you nailed it here. I, I love this one. He, like you mentioned, is another guy similar to Celestin that just has kind of been pushed down because he's been out of sight, out of mind. He, like you said, disappointed in that brief 31 game sample in a ball last year, prior to the season ending injury, but you didn't hear a whole lot of concern for him really falling down the ranks before the injury. It wasn't until the injury that all of a sudden it was, you know, you didn't hear about him. And when you did, it was because he slid down another prospect list. And I think that was more just, you know, other people passing him, other guys passing him up because he wasn't doing anything to help his stock. You mentioned the huge tools and the aggression the aggression in his approach is the one thing that really concerns me here. Because when we dig into his K rates from the last couple of years, he had a 26.9% K rate in complex ball in 2022 as an 18 year old, and a 26.8% K rate as a 19 year old in those 31 low A games last season. For me, I need those numbers to improve a little bit to really buy in I still like Miguel Blyce I'm just not completely sold that the aggression isn't going to hurt him too much for him to really get to the uh the power speed combo now this is a a very you know bottom tier maybe outcome but you look at a guy like Jose Siri in Tampa Bay huge power huge speed speed crazy tools but he's just so uber aggressive 
that he comes out with like a 200 batting average and still hits 20 home runs and steals 20 bags. I don't think Blyce is anywhere near that aggressive, but we can see where a profile like this can end up if we look at a guy like Jose Siri. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's definitely risk there. Like we we're we're trusting him to make adjustments that he hasn't made yet. Um yes. so I, I I totally agree with you there. But you know, even even if he you know hits that bottom outcome, he's a, a Jose Siri that still has some value, you know, maybe not a ton. <laughs> maybe he's kind of yeah. a back end of your roster type, but but you know, the ability to put up big time speed and power um is definitely going to to play and Again, the um, the defense really makes a big difference because if he's like a corner only guy, then I'm a lot more concerned with with the the strikeout rates and the aggressive approach because he's just not going to get that opportunity if he can't hit. But if he's a good defender in center field, and maybe there's some questions about the hit tool, he's going to get an opportunity to fix that hit tool. Whether or not he could do it is another question. But I think for me, based on where he's currently valued, the the risk is. Uh, worth the reward there absolutely Um, yeah i i'm with you i really like him here like you said he was inside i think of most top 100s this time last year and now he's on the outside looking in on most lists so even if that was only you know a a 20 spot slide it's easy to see how he could recoup that value and then some yeah and i remember at the time of his injury the the discourse was you know would you take Roman Anthony or Miguel Blyce? And like, obviously that's, that's no question at this point, but that's yeah. just kind of like where he was valued uh, right prior to the injury. Um, all right. Who is your uh, next prospect? So my last name is, as I mentioned earlier, another prep hitter from this year's FYPD class. And that is Johnny Farmello. He's a 19 year old outfielder in Seattle's system. And similar to a couple of the guys you've just talked about, I think part of the reason he's being pushed down is because he did not make his pro debut this year. So we didn't see him in pro ball. He didn't have a chance to improve his stock. Similar to Pratt, once again, Farmello is also considered to have a hit over power profile at present, but also similarly to Pratt, Farmello has a strong build at six foot two, 205. So it is easy to envision him developing into more power. His standout tool currently is his plus or better speed that he can take advantage of both on the base pass and in the outfield, a position which he only started playing in his senior year of high school, which is likely why Fantrax still has him listed as a shortstop. So if you see Johnny Farmello with the SS next to his name, as well as, you know, being labeled as a a Seattle prospect, that's the right guy. They just don't have the right position in there. Now the Mariners drafted Farmello 29th overall with the second of their three top 30 picks. They used the pick that they received for Julio Rodriguez's Rookie of the Year season on Fermelo, and they signed him for an above-slot bonus to sway him away from his commitment to the University of Virginia. Now, unlike the other prep hitters I've mentioned so far, Fermelo's pro debut isn't providing any hype, as I mentioned before, because he, he didn't make a pro debut, and I think that's a big reason why he's still being slept on, when he makes his debut in 2024, regardless of level, I think he's really going to put up some big numbers and make a name for himself. Yeah, I really like Farmella. We talked about him on our FYPD, and I actually pushed him significantly up the rankings because I thought, you know, he's someone who definitely is going to be slept on that I really liked. And then you picked him, uh, I believe, in your 
uh, top 20 for the the FYPE, which <laughs> made me skyrocket him up my rankings because I figured like he's not he's not going to be a, a well-kept secret for long. But I, I do believe that, like you said, the the fact that he hasn't done his pro debut yet is is pushing down his value. But I mean, there's so much to like here. If if the the power can get to even average, I mean, this is a fantasy stud. He's in a great organization. Um, I, I really like this pick. Um, one thing I was not able to find out any information on why he didn't debut last year. Were you, I, I wasn't either. No, I'm, that's kind of the one concern I have is usually whether it be an injury or something else, you can find something out there, but there's nothing, nothing I could find at least. So it, it is a little bit worrisome as to what this mystery reason might be. But I I wouldn't be surprised if we get an answer to it in the coming months here prior to the start of the regular season. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think there's there's just a ton to like there. So great pick there. Um, so we've talked a lot about FYPD guys so far. We've talked a lot. I've picked all teenagers for, for my prospects. So I wanted to give some love to one of the old guys for my last prospect pick. And I will just start out by saying there is a ton of risk in this profile. This mm-hmm. is, this is a 100% ceiling and value play. This guy is completely forgotten about. I feel like um, he could be had for dirt cheap as a throw in. There's still a lot of upside there, but just note that uh, this is the highest risk of all the, <laughs> the picks so far. So I'm just going to throw that out there because we've talked about so many high schoolers. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna throw that out there, but my, my prospect, my last prospect is not a teenager. He's 23 years old. He already debuted in the MLB and that's Alex Canario, uh, with the Chicago Cubs. He's a right-handed hitting outfielder, um, has a really weird path to the big league. So he was signed, uh, an international signee by the giants back in 2016. Um, didn't actually make his full season debut until 2021. Part of that was due to COVID, but he, I believe he also played three seasons in the DSL, Uh, I'm not quite sure what was going on with that. Miners were structured a little bit differently back then. There was different incentives. Guys weren't rushed as much. But what what happened is because of this, he actually ended up having to be 40-man eligible when he was still in the lower minors. So, you know, he made his full season debut in 2021. He struggled a bit and then was moved to Chicago at the deadline in 2021 for Chris Bryant. And then in his first full season with his new organization, he just put up absolutely monster years. So um, in 2022, he went from high A to triple A in 464 plate appearances, had 37 home runs and 23 stolen bases, which obviously huge, huge fantasy numbers, a 133 WRC plus um, good walk rate at 11%. And then we come to the issue with Canario, which was his K rate. So even in that monster 2022 season, it was a bit high at 27.5%. He's always kind of had these high strikeout rates in the minors. And I think that's really the one thing that makes this profile really risky. So um, kind of after that 2022 season, he was getting top 100 consideration on fancy lists, kind of like what we talked about with Miguel Blyce, but then went to winter ball and got, had a pretty gruesome injury uh, while playing winter ball. He was running to first base trying to beat out a grounder kind of, uh, you know, landed wrong on the bag, ended up breaking his ankle and uh, injuring his shoulder after tripping and was essentially out for uh, a good chunk of the year. He did come back in uh, June of 2023 and then he showed a lot of rust. So he, he didn't get out uh, to a very good start out of the gate. 
He did finish strong though. So from August on um, playing primarily at AAA, he had 987 OPS and a 137 WRC plus. Like I mentioned, he did get a cup of coffee with the Cubs, but was used really oddly. Um, you know, he just kind of sat on the bench for a while, only had 17 plate appearances. He did not perform particularly well um, with the strikeouts. He struck out almost 50% of the time at a 47% rate, but he did show his power um, with the home run in those 17 plate appearances. And I think that's what you're buying here. This is massive, massive power uh, potential for double digit steals. So like a 30 home run, 10 stolen base type bat. It's all going to come down to, can he hit enough and can he keep those strikeouts under control? Now, I believe that, that he, he, you know, the possibility he can is, is worth the risk. Cause again, the value could never be lower um, because of kind of how his usage was coming back from those injuries last year. He's UT only on fan tracks. He's, you know, still prospect eligible, but he's not technically listed as like being in the minors because he finished the year um, in the big leagues. So I just think there's kind of this weird gap in how he's evaluated. I was able to get him in the 48th round of our categories draft and off waivers in our points league draft, which was um, 60 rounds. So there's definitely, you know, the opportunity to get him for dirt cheap. You know, if you can get a, th- a 30 home run, 10 stolen base ceiling uh, for that cheap, I say, go for it. Um, you'll find out pretty quickly if, you know, if it's worth hanging on to, we'll see kind of now that he's a full season back from the injuries he had, we'll see if he can make those adjustments and keep the K rate, you know, to a manageable level. I still think it's always going to be high, but you know, we've seen players succeed with power speed with the 30% K rate. So, you know, it's not necessarily out of the question that he could, I think the other big question for him is just playing time. So, you know, he, he did DH a lot, but I think part of that was due to the injuries um, obviously Chicago has a bit of a log jam with guys like PCA and, um, you know, the, the other outfielders that they currently have, and that's not counting if they resign Bellinger, but if he's given an opportunity, kind of like what we saw with Velasquez being traded to Kansas city and kind of him exploding after that opportunity, if he's given that opportunity, I think he can be a, a pretty valuable, um, fancy asset with a, with a pretty good ceiling. Um, but yeah, just keep in mind that this is, uh, pretty high risk. Yeah. So I think given the context here that you can get him for free, he is maybe worth a shot, but if you have to pay anything at all, whether it be a draft pick of some sorts, you know, anything like that, I'm, I'm completely disinterested in Canario. You mentioned the upside in those counting stats, as well as the extreme risk in his K rate. You mentioned the nearly 50% strikeout rate in, albeit the small sample, 17 plate appearances in the bigs. The even more alarming thing behind that strikeout rate is that it was fueled by a 39% chase rate and a 43% whiff rate. Again, that sample is so small, it means virtually nothing. But given the track record he has of striking out and the fact that he's had a hard time keeping a K rate below 30% really at any level in his career, I just have a really hard time seeing his stock improving this season and buying into him for anything more than free. Yeah. No, like I like I prefaced it. This is <laughs> completely uh, high risk profile. Completely agree with the, the concerns on it. But 
um you know i just again i just feel like uh, particularly in, in maybe some of the the deeper leagues you know this is something that um you know why not like if it's free why not take a shot so um so that's where i'm coming at with him um okay so that those are our five prospects each so um enrico like i mentioned at the top was initially supposed to join us so he had five prospects as well we're not going to go in depth on them but i did want to uh to cover them a little bit um just so you're aware so he had eduardo quintero who he's talked about before on the podcast um you know he is uh outfielder in the dodgers organization we've got luis bias who's an outfielder in the astros organization peyton martin who we discussed i believe on the um draft recap episode that we had for the points league startup. Um, he's a pitcher in the daughters organization, Jefferson Rojas, who actually um, would have been kind of one of my prospects instead of Canario had Enrico not uh, chosen him initially uh, is a, I believe he's a shortstop in the Cubs organization. And then we have John Carlos Lara, who is a pitcher in the uh, Braves organization. So those are Enrico's um, five breakout prospects. Maybe, you know, on a future episode, he can touch a little bit on why uh, he loves those prospects. Um, that being said, let's cover some honorable mentions. So Kyle, who were your honorable mentions for prospects? So for me, it's more of a a group than a specific player. And I will name names in a second, but I want to shout out virtually all the prep the high school arms that just got drafted in 2023 and if you want to you can lump you know Enrico's guys Peyton Martin and Giancarlos Lara in here as well because they are young raw pitchers with big time stuff much like all these guys I'm about to mention there's Josh Noth who was drafted by Milwaukee Blake Walters in KC Alex Clemmy in Cleveland, Thomas White in Miami, Charlie Soto in Minnesota, Xander Muth in Pittsburgh, and Travis Sakura in Washington are a few of the names on this list. Those are some of the more highly drafted guys, but these are all young kids with big stuff, which means inevitably they won't all work out because there's a ton of risk in these profiles. But keep an eye on all of these guys early in the season because I'd be willing to put I would be willing to put money on at least one or two of them breaking out in a big way. And if I had to pick a couple of them, I would look at guys like Noth in Milwaukee, White in Miami, or Clemmy in Cleveland, because those are all really highly regarded pitching development organizations. Or to go a little bit outside of that box, Blake Walters in KC. This is a guy who was a, a two-sport athlete for most of his life and just started focusing solely on baseball in the senior year of high school. He was a, a star basketball player as well. So there's tons of athleticism in Blake Walters in KC. But again, really just these young prep arms in general with big stuff, they probably have control issues. They might have injury concerns, but some of these guys are bound to really rocket up the lists now that they've got some professional development behind them. Yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, I think that's a great call out. Uh, you know, I've grabbed some Thomas White and Charlie Soto and and some of these other guys um, in startups and uh, FYPD. So I definitely like that call out. 
Um, for me, I, I have some specific names um, I'll mention. So one is uh, Jeter Martinez. So he's a starting pitcher in the Mariners organization, uh, was a top pitcher in the DSL. And, you know, DSL pitching is not um, not the best pool, <laughs> does not have the best track record of success. But him being in the Mariners organization, which does have a great track record of success at developing pitchers, the fact that he seems to be adding velo He's now hitting 97, um, seems to have really good control and um, some some pretty decent secondaries. I think, you know, he could come out and start performing really well at full season ball. And I think he's going to start getting a lot of hype. So that's Jeter Martinez. Um, Dylan Beavers is one that I had uh, considered as my last one instead of Canario, um, simply because he shows a lot of great skills. The one thing he's really not showing currently is power. And that is the one thing that he was supposed to have. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, there is a belief that he can get into more power. And if he does, the rest of the skills are there for him to just be a, a really, really good big league player. He's in a great development organization in Baltimore. So really like that one. Um, and then one last one, who's already a pretty decently regarded pitching prospect, but based on some reports I saw on Twitter um, at one of the facilities he was working at, you know, if these are true, I think his his value could really skyrocket. And that's Chase Petty. So he's pitching prospect in the um in the Reds organization. There's been some reports. Um, I can't remember, it wasn't driveline, it was a different facility, but there was some reports on Twitter that he was uh, you know, back to hitting high nineties, like ninety-eight, um, with his fastball again. And he was a prospect that, you know, when he was drafted, had really, really good velo. And then for whatever reason, you know, while he's shown like good pitches and, and good control and everything um, in in the minors for Cincinnati, he just didn't have the velo that he was supposed to have. So if he's got his velo back into the high 90s, there's a really, really high ceiling on Chase Petty. So that's more of a speculative one. But, um, you know, it's it's the time to speculate on some of these changes that players could be making. And, you know, I think he's. He's kind of a borderline kind of top 100 prospect. So he's not going to be free, but you know, the, the floor is already high enough that it's worth taking a shot that the ceiling could be a lot higher than expected there. Absolutely. Yeah. I really like those call outs. And I like what you mentioned at the end there, this is the time of year where some of these reports are going to start coming out that, you know, a guy like Petty has his velo back. Someone else has a new breaking ball. This guy's made an adjustment to his swing, that sort of thing. It's up to you to determine, you know, what you believe and what you don't. But this is the time of year to take a chance on some of those guys that are reportedly making these changes. And just know that if it doesn't work out in the first, you know, month or so of the minor league season, they might be some of the first guys on the chopping block as some players that, you know, maybe you didn't take a chance on but heard about or some other guys that popped out of nowhere are starting to show up. So it's a really good time to start, you know, reading these reports and figuring out what you believe in and who you want to take a chance on. Yeah. And and just with the knowledge, kind of like what you said, is it's it's uh, best shape of their life season. Right. So yeah. you don't want to say, oh, well, this report says this person did this. So therefore, I 100 percent agree they're going to be better or I 100 percent believe they're going to be better. You have to have some skepticism with this stuff, but it comes down to a calculation of risk versus reward, right? What's the ceiling? What's the floor? What's the cost? And is the cost worth betting on 
you know, those changes being real because, you know, half the time they are and half the time they're not. So, uh, or, you know, half the time they stick and half the time they don't. So you kind of have to uh, pick and choose which ones you're going to buy into. But um, definitely I have, um, you know, I think with Petty in particular, there's there's enough floor there that, you know, at the cost he's currently going, there's, um, you know, I think he's uh, a good value as it is, let alone, you know, if, if he really does have that VLO back. Um, but with that being said, that's uh, all of our breakout prospects. So um, be sure to follow us on social media. We'll have the links in our show notes. And thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.